Good evening and welcome to the C Report from QAndAholesPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mr. C, and this is the news for Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. Good evening and welcome to another edition of the C Report. I'm your host, Mr. C. It's good to be with y'all again tonight, and we'll get straight to the headlines. As always, Trump leads at the Sea Report. Um, the Trump impeachment trial kicked off yesterday with what was supposed to have been the Constitutional Day. And I guess in retrospect, yes, the both sides of the argument in regards to the impeachability I apologize, the, the constitutionability of the impeachment trial would be voted on and or decided. Um, both sides did present from rules of the Constitution. However, the uh, prosecutor side did indeed uh, present a very emotional case, also presenting a, um, uh, a video of the events that took place that seemed somewhat... Uh, contrived and clipped up in regards to how the events occurred and um, there was even a photo that I saw um, during this hearing uh, that I was like when did that happen and that was a photo of uh, it showed a bright flare kind of in smoke it made to look as if though the capital were on fire so this probably would have been after 6 p.m. on January 6th that this photo was taken. I don't know where this happened, but it looks, it looks, based on the lighting and the smoke that is used in it, and there are still people there. I don't know how doctored the photo is, but it looks dramatic. It looks dramatic and severe, as if though the Capitol building were burning as if there were active fighter fires on the grounds, on the building, and smoke, as if though there had been a gunfight, as if though, uh, you know, every Trump supporter out there had wielded weapons and had attacked the Capitol, and it was violence on all end of violence. You know, a little bit of that ultra-violence. Yeah, this is the portrait these people keep trying to paint of a day that did not reflect that in any means. Like, there was not chaos, there were not people fighting, and there were not people running all over each other to get into the Capitol. And what, a four-hour siege of people, what, standing out there fighting with people? And and what, uh, running amok? Amok, amok, amok? I don't think so. That is not what happened. In fact, they showed video of violence at the Capitol that, you know, if I had been there when that transpired, I would have thought that the scene would be very different. And there's something else that I noticed from this uh, Capitol siege video that they put together, this Capitol breach, this violence day at the Capitol by Trump supporters. Is there something that any of you all noticed? Because I don't know if any of y'all watched it. I mean, they had, what, a three to four hour proceeding? 
and then today they're doing what an, an eight hour proceeding they're there now I'm not watching it but they're there now and what what do, what do we notice about what did we notice about the video that they showed these uh, these prosecutorial impeachment Senate Democrat people hmm where was the primary video from? Where was the primary content of that video from in their capital breach day? It was from none other than Mr. John Sullivan himself, Jaden X. Same guy. So the guy who gets busted for going live live at the Capitol on breach day and bragging with his CNN gal pal about uh, how they're going to make this movie. That makes me wonder, <laughs> were they talking about the movie that she's putting on Netflix? Or are they talking about the movie that they're going to make for the Trump impeachment hearing? Which one are you talking about, John Sullivan and CNN gal pal? makes me wonder because allegedly this woman this girl is also putting out a video about John Sullivan she's putting out a movie about John Sullivan that's supposed to be on Obama's network Netflix pedoflix that's where that's going John Sullivan the the uh, the living legend coming to a, a pedoflix theater near you John Sullivan the left-wing activist BLM supporter Disavowed by BLM. Disavowed by the left and the right wing. The grifter. The lone wolf, John Sullivan. Coming to a pedoflix theater near you. Groomed by Obama. Do you think John Sullivan ever went to any of Obama's uh, hot dog parties? I wonder. Um, but you know, same thing about same thing about this guy here. Alan Dershowitz. Uh, the right scoop had a, a little uh, a little blurb on this uh, Dershowitz guy. Now Dershowitz has been an attorney with everyone for everything in all time and eternity. Like Dershowitz is like he's as old as dirt, right? Dershowitz has uh, been one of Trump's attorneys through and through, but Dershowitz has had several complaints in regard to his uh, bedroom practices. And uh, the company that he keeps. So uh, I don't really take a whole lot of what Dershowitz says to heart. But even he admitted that the Trump defense team, whew, they were kind of offbeat. Now, I don't know. I've never heard of Bruce Castor. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Bruce Castor. Um, and then there's Shone. Shone seemed to be good. He, he, he had some, you know, he had some vigor and some vim in his, um, his, uh, you know, in his, his defense and his relating of, of, of why this was unconstitutional. And, 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 and though he was impassioned, he was not emotional. See, the Democrats were emotional. They showed this dumb video by this, uh, by this guy who's, uh, he was also on CNN, John Sullivan, John Sullivan also aired on CNN. Now his video is all over the impeachment trial. I mean, I wonder what is up with that. I mean, people, we really should ask these questions. 
<laughs> like, why are they using the theme of John Sullivan's video? And why does Antifa.com go to, uh, you know, Biden.gov? I mean, uh, Whitehouse.gov. I mean, what does it go to again? Either way, like, why? Why is this the case? <laughs> why aren't people asking these questions? I don't know. But anyways, Bruce Castor, he really did seem kind of like a fuddy-duddy. Uh, I was listening to um, another broadcast, and I don't remember who it was that was talking, because I don't listen to this particular broadcast all the time, and he was saying that he didn't personally know him, I don't think, but he was like kind of like, he worked with him, he worked for him, and he was just not the person that he knew him to be in a courtroom setting uh, at the trial. And, um, yeah, like I said, fuddy-duddy, I don't know, like, he was there, uh, you know, um, basically, like, pandering to the senators, it seemed like, and, and, uh, Senator Toomey, one of the Republicans who voted to impeach Trump, well, that's, that's one of his senators, you know, like, he's like, that's my senator, and he went on to this long spiel about my senator, those are my senators, it means something, I thought maybe his strategy is to help senators feel like the people actually like appreciate them because I always hear congressmen and representative you know personally from the people because the senators like I don't know I don't think people really think about the senators because I mean they don't I mean excuse me pardon me I apologize that was very unprofessional but they don't you know like a lot of people don't generally think about the senate more so than they think about the house and the congress so that could be a very good maybe like the senators feel alienated from the people and the population and so you know Bruce Castor's uh, strategy is to make them feel like the people love them and want them and we do I mean after all you're not appointed you're elected so come on you know, you do have some accountability to the people. As a constituent, we do have some say, you know what I mean? But anyways, other than, other, other than that, the only other thing I can think of about Bruce Castor's Open was that if he wasn't just pandering to the Senate to use this, and then he was going to strike them with some uh, law reference, was that, you know, he's bought and paid for and working with uh, Senator Toomey. You know, they probably went and had a round of golf with their masks on, or maybe they uh, sat in an outdoor restaurant and had dinner amidst this COVID season of year. But um, either that or maybe he's under duress. Maybe he was like, well, I'm going to go and give this open and I'm going to get constitutional on their butts. And then uh, he turns the page in his notes and dun, dun, dun. Someone has stuck a letter in there and it, you know, it tells him that they have his family. And then all of a sudden he goes on and about how the senators are great. Let me tell you what, back in the day, I used to listen to senators on vinyl. Man, and they never skipped. Anyway, so that was interesting. We'll see what happens. Um, this whole political theater shouldn't even be happening, of course, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, let them, let them set whatever precedents they want to, they set, you know, it was what one lost Republican is how this, uh, was allowed to go forward maybe. And then, uh, we have them saying that we can impeach previous presidents and previous people from throughout the year. I know some guy was calling for the, uh, impeachment of Eric Holder, Um, and then of course we're also going to go after, you know, you know, Bush one and Bush two 
And uh, we're going to go after Obama for sure. Although Obama might undo himself coming up in the theater near you soon. Um, But we'll see how that goes. And uh, we'll see how long this impeachment trial goes. A lot of people are already saying it is DOA. Dead on arrival. This article is from uh, Janita Khan, and it is titled, Justice Department Asks Trump-Appointed U.S. Attorneys to Resign. So as we pointed out in a previous C-Report, you know, we do have, of course, this, this changing of the guard, because obviously, you know, well, that is the optic of the way things should be. There are, there are as I have said before, many masters standing around this stage and theater with their marionette strings pulling at the ma- uh, the machine of Washington, D.C. right now to make sure things happen as they should whenever there is a change of power. Um, but illegitimate or not, I should add, by the way. But uh, as the article goes on to state, it says the Justice, uh, the Justice Department, the DOJ, announced on Tuesday that it is beginning the process of replacing top federal prosecutors who were appointed by former President Donald Trump. The practice, which the department says was commonplace for a new administration, would allow, ju- uh, would allow President Joe Biden, illegitimate, to install his own nominees to lead U.S. Attorney's Office across the country. The department said approximately one-third of U.S. attorney offices are already led by acting or interim leadership. So yes, just as the same as when Trump came into office four years ago, he started replacing certain offices. Uh, This is also the right that Joe Biden will have as an illegitimate president um, and will enjoy. Um, You won't hear any Trump supporters crying about it, though. You won't hear any Trump supporters crying about it, just as every single Democrat, liberal, progressive individual did. Um, Every person in office, anyone in legislation, they complained about it. Staffers complained about it. They said they were being fired and that, that, you know, and no, that's just, that's not how it works, honey. That's not how it works, honey mama. That's not how it works when it comes to certain offices in government. So, you know, that's to be expected. Um, here comes, uh, here comes uh, uh, a lot of reporting on this. Says it's from anonymous individuals, which I find kind of interesting. But it says, um, it says, while most U.S. attorneys have been asked to hand in their resignations... Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss, who is overseeing the tax probe of Hunter Biden, and John Durham, who has been appointed as special counsel to investigate the origins of the counterintelligence probe into Trump and Russia, will remain in office, Reuters reported, citing an anonymous department official. So I guess anonymous meaning it was leaked? I don't know. Um, Whenever I hear anonymous, I think it was leaked, or I think it's just, you know jargon but you know if John Durham I'm sure is going to stay in place because he's going to take probably another five years to release his report at which point I don't know if uh, timing is everything maybe in five years it'll be worth something to us and um, yeah um, that's just 
pretty much what it was. I mean, like, you will see uh, him appointing uh, uh, people that will ultimately help his administration or he will help them for helping him. Uh, you'll see a lot of revolving door. Um, just go back to some of the previous episodes. Some of the reports we've already submitted here do show Biden to having a revolving door from Facebook to the administration, from uh, lawyers' offices to certain uh, certain offices in the administration that will uh, benefit his family and could be seen as unethical. But that is the way it works in um, that is the way it works in uh, in Washington D.C. Now, Brock Simmons also has an article to this point. Uh, The purge continues. Biden to oust Trump appointed U.S. attorneys. I mean, like I said, this is just part of the strategy. This is part of what happens in Washington, D.C. He writes, the great purge of the dissidents continues as Joe Stalin, uh, Joe Joe Biden, is now calling for all of the Trump-era U.S. attorneys to step down and make room for those who pledge their loyalty to the crown. Over 50 U.S. attorneys are being targeted by the regime. Strangely enough, two key attorneys will remain in place, Durham and David Weiss. Make what you will of that. So I don't know. I kind of like the uh, I kind of like the uh, the 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 ring of your moxie, Mr. Brock Simmons. Um, yeah, um, this is what is happening. I mean, this is what is happening. That's just the way it goes in Washington, D.C. Apparently, acting Attorney General Monty Wilkinson, according to Politico, is expected to hold a conference call Tuesday. So that was yesterday with U.S. attorneys uh, to inform nearly all of those holding presidential appointments that they are being asked to resign. You know, and like I said, you're not going to hear anyone complaining about that because that's part of the way it goes in, you know, now what it is is that some people think it's unreasonable that uh some people think it's unreasonable that uh that they would just disappoint everybody you know what i mean (laughs) but um but i mean that's why they call it uh that's why they call it a transition power regardless of how fake it is like i said because uh this is an illegitimate presidency, but the masters uh, behind the curtains are pulling those strings. Um, okay, so, I mean, everyone is basically writing about that, uh, it seems like, uh, in the news, and um, there were several articles that did reflect that, and there's a lot of hubbub about Weiss and Durham staying in place. Uh, what that says to me is, I don't know, maybe they don't want us to make it look political, or maybe, um, you know, uh, something to their effect is keeping it uh, favorable for them to remain in that spot. But we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe Durham will get that out in the next, uh, you know, five or six years or so. Well, we'll, we'll be waiting for it, Durham. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll mean something to us by then. Keeping the illegitimate president of these United States of America in the news, let's turn to some news in regards to the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, 14 state attorneys general warn Biden they are reviewing legal options over Keystone XL pipeline decision. This by Christina Layla. 
14 state attorneys general warned Joe Biden they are reviewing legal options over his decision to cancel the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. Joe Biden's first order of business was to kill tens of thousands of jobs. Biden signed an executive order canceling the Keystone pipeline that runs from Alberta, Canada through several states. Tens of thousands of oil workers lost their jobs. Local towns are suffering and states, states stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars in annual tax revenue. Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen led the coalition of state AGs and sent a letter to Joe Biden warning him Americans will suffer serious detrimental consequences. Please be aware that the states are reviewing available legal options to protect our residents and sovereign interests. In the meantime, we urge you to reconsider your decision to impose crippling economic injuries on states, communities, families, and workers across the country. Knudsen and the Attorney General wrote in their letter, Your decision will result in devastating damage to many of our states and local communities, even those states outside the path of the Keystone XL pipeline. Indeed, all Americans will suffer serious detrimental consequences, they wrote. The letter was also signed by attorneys general from Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, and West Virginia. So it's good to see that people from basically everywhere this is the uh, this is the issue that unites all sides um, that know that this uh, keystone um, keystone pipeline closure is definitely it's in bad taste uh, it makes Joe Biden look so ignorant I mean they could use basically they can use everything that Joe Biden has done as an illegitimate president to remove him under the 25th amendment like they'd be like this guy's crazy look at what he did he just went in there and he bam, he's crazy what is he thinking he really is off his knocker he just killed all these jobs and you know like affected all these people without even thinking about it he he didn't even give them he didn't even give them a way around it he didn't give them uh, he didn't give them a solution to to what was going to happen due to his actions so very interesting very very interesting uh, next report, uh, this one in regard to the uh, Biden crime family. ABC News confirms Peter Schweizer's Biden expose on family corruption involving son-in-law Howard Crime. This from Breitbart. ABC News confirmed the reporting of Breitbart News senior contributor Peter Schweizer, author of the New York Times bestseller Profiles in Corruption, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite, regarding the corruption of the Biden family. Specifically, the connection between the president and his son-in-law, Howard Crine. Crine serves as Startup Health's chief medical officer. He oversees the company's investments in hundreds of companies, including some hoping to break through with the federal agencies battling a global coronavirus pandemic, as ABC reported. Schweizer has led the charge in unveiling the layers of corruption within the Biden family, while all eyes remained on Hunter Biden and his lucrative business dealings throughout his father's presidential campaign, the questionable deals and connections extend far beyond the president's son. The establishment media is beginning to zero in on Howard Crine, 
a Philadelphia surgeon who's married to Biden's daughter, Ashley Crying, served as an advisor to Biden's campaign on the Chinese coronavirus crisis, specifically, and did so while investigating in companies presenting solutions to the coronavirus with his venture capital firm, as Breitbart News detailed. With Biden in office and his administration tasked with addressing the coronavirus pandemic, Crying's status as the chief medical officer at Startup Health presents a keen conflict of interest. ABC acknowledged this convenient family-to-government connection, one of many Schweizers has routinely laid out over the years. In a February 9 piece titled, as Biden's son-in-law invests in COVID-19 responses, question of family and ethics could resurface. When the boutique tech firm Yossi Health developed software aimed at streamlining the nation's coronavirus vaccine effort, CEO Harry Prasad sought help from one of its earliest investors, a company with a special government connection. The investor was Startup Health, and that special connection came through its chief medical officer, Howard Krein, who is married to President Joe Biden's daughter. That detail that was not lost on Yossi Prasad, who reached out to start Startup Health in December with a request to introduce their platform to government health officials. According to ABC News, Prasad bluntly laid out the tech firm's intentions with Startup Health, starting their goal as leveraging their relationships and working with state and federal agencies. But Biden's curious involvement with the company, Startup Health, spans all the way back to 2011, when he served as vice president. In 2011, Biden assisted in the launching of the company by granting direct access to the White House, arranging a meeting with former President Barack Obama. The company was young, just weeks old at the time of the meeting. Their status as a healthcare incubator was hardly unique. Schweitzer wrote in Profiles in Corruption. In fact, there were 31 similar companies operating in the state of California alone, and another 11 in the state of New York. Krein recalled, I happened to be talking to my father-in-law that day, and I mentioned Steve and Unity were down there in Washington, D.C. He knew about Startup Health and was a big fan of it. He asked for Steve's number and said, I have to get them up here to talk with Barack. The Secret Service came and got Steve and Unity and brought them to the Oval Office. His brother, Stephen Krein, is the co-founder and CEO of the company. Schweitzer described the meeting as a huge hookup. Health Data Palooza is very prestigious and very hard to get into, Schweitzer explains during the an October 2020 appearance on Breitbart News Daily with host Max Marlowe, Alex Marlowe. They get hooked up and they are put up front and center in this very important conference, and that's the beginning of the favors that happen. As Breitbart reports... Crying is now advising Joe Biden's campaign on coronavirus matters while Startup Health plans to invest $1 million in companies developing goods and services pertaining to the novel virus. Politico added, Crying simultaneously advising the campaign and venturing into COVID investing could pose conflict of interest concerns for a Biden administration or simply create the awkward appearance of Crying profiting off his father-in-law's policies. 
Swisher credited the Biden family with expanding the frontiers of American political corruption. In October, Biden campaign spokesman Mike Gwynn denied a Politico story that cited Schweitzer's reporting on startup health in his book Profiles on Corruption. It's sad that Politico is recycling baseless accusations and innuendo from a discredited right-wing journalist like Peter Schweitzer, he said in a statement to the Washington Examiner. Gwynn's claim that Schweitzer's extensive investigative work has been discredited remains wholly unsubstantiated. He was he has continued to def- he has continued to defend Biden in his capacity as a White House spokesperson, telling ABC News that Biden has set and maintained the highest ethical standards for himself, his administration, and those around him. Wah wah wah. The article continues. In a January appearance on Breitbart News Daily, Schweitzer explained how Biden continued to go to bat for startup health, participating in the company's closed-door events in the following years in his capacity as vice president. Well, the fact that I haven't mentioned is that the one of the three principals involved with this company is married to his daughter, and I think explains what's going on here, he said. So how you do all of that and hold true to your statements that you've never had a conversation with a family member about business matters is patently absurd. The Bidens to me are unprecedented in the extent and scope of the corruption. Because I've been doing this for a long time, Schweitzer told Marlowe in the October interview. I've exposed Republicans and Democrats. The Bidens now have five, he added, labeling the Biden family as the reigning champs when it comes to corrupt behavior in Washington, D.C. Now it appears the establishment media is beginning to catch up with Schweitzer's revelations. According to ABC, Crime did not respond to the outlet's request for comment, but a spokeswoman for Startup Health stated that the chief medical officer does not make investment decisions at Startup Health, nor does he advise or assist companies on obtaining government contracts. His role as chief medical advisor at Startup Health is to provide a clinician's perspective into our mission to transform health, she told the outlet. So very interesting. So once again, we see the possibility of the Biden family being able to make out big on legislation that his father, this being, uh, I'm sorry, her father, this being Joe Biden, President Select's daughter, her family could make off of her father being the president. So I guess every, every apple in the tree gets to taste the fruit of daddy. COVID-19 Coronavirus 2019 News. This article comes from the Gateway Pundit. CDC exposed inflated COVID deaths by 1,600% throughout the election, violated multiple federal laws, peer-reviewed study finds, state, local, governments must act. 100% fed up reports. Throughout the election, Donald Trump was battered by CCP virus statistics in order to hurt the American economy and his political campaign. We know that it was shamelessly wielded as a political weapon to prevent President Donald Trump and his supporters from rallying as Antifa and Black Lives Matter burned 
progressive, poor, and minority neighborhoods to the ground throughout the entire year. Now that Biden has been installed into the office of president, he promises to increase COVID lockdown measures and extend them further into your ability to travel and force unscientific mask wearing for at least 100 days. But a new peer-reviewed study has been released that finds the CDC numbers to be so wildly unsupported as to be pure propaganda that is based on wholly unscientific practices that were needlessly created on the spot. The National File reports... The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, stands accused of violating federal law by inflating coronavirus fatality numbers, according to stunning information obtained by National File. CDC illegally inflated the COVID fatality numbers by at least 1,600% as the 2020 presidential election played out, according to a study published by the Public Health Initiative of the Institute of Pure and Applied Knowledge. The study, COVID-19 Data Collection, Comorbidity, and Federal Law, a Historical Retrospective, was authored by Henry Ely, Michael McEvoy, Daniel Chong, John Nowicki, Monica Saba, Sandeep Gupta, David White, James Jordan, Daniel Simon, and Paul Anderson. The study is 25 pages long with over 100 citations. However, the main points can be summarized. A major point is that testing inaccuracies and unreliability combined with unscientific procedures and methods resulted in demonstrably massive false positive spikes. The CDC is now legally requiring red-blooded Americans to wear face masks on all public transportation as globalists try to push the concept of double masking on the populace. Since the election, the World Health Organization admits that PCR tests are not totally reliable on the first try, and a second test might be needed. This, correspondent with the C- this corresponds with the CDC's quiet admission that it blended viral and antibody tests results for its case numbers, and that half people can test positive on an antibody test if they have antibodies from a family of viruses that cause the common cold. Hospitals in Florida had so many accuracy complications that Orlando Health had to admit that its 9.4% positivity rate got recorded at 98%. There are also profound legal implications raised by the study that need to be dealt with in courts around the country if America is to ever be free again. The data you have been spoon-fed by the CDC for a year raises serious legal issues. Much like the 2020 election, massive changes in rules for reporting and collecting data were instituted exclusively for COVID, which resulted in 1,600% inflated numbers of fatalities. The groundbreaking peer-reviewed research asserts that the CDC willfully violated multiple federal laws including Information Quality Act, Paper Reduction Act, and Administrative Procedures Act at minimum. Publishing Journal, Institute for Peer and Applied Knowledge, Public Health Policy Initiative. Most notably, the CDC illegally enacted Applied Knowledge Public Health Policy Initiative, 
Most notably, the CDC illegally enacted new rules for data collection and reporting exclusively for COVID-19 that resulted in a 1,600% inflation of current COVID-19 fatality totals. The watchdog group All Concerned Citizens declared in a statement that provided to National File referring to the Institutes for Pure and Applied Knowledge Study. The research demonstrates that CDC failed to apply for mandatory federal oversights and failed to open a mandatory period for public scientific comment in both instances, as is required by federal law before enacting new rules for data collection and reporting. The CDC is required to be in full compliance with all federal laws, even during emergency situations. The research asserts that CDC willfully compromise the accuracy and integrity of all COVID-19 case and fatality data from the onset of this crisis in order to fraudulently inflate case and fatality data, stated all concerned citizens. But that is not all. Other major covid other major COVID collection and reporting standards created on March 24th of 2020 that inexplicably and intentionally changed decades-old practices in order to hide comorbidities and pre-existing health conditions death report on death reports. These underlying health conditions may likely have been the actual or most important cause of the death. On March 24th, the CDC published the NVSS COVID-19 Alert No. 2 document instructing medical examiners, coroners, and physicians to de-emphasize underlying causes of death, also referred to as pre-existing conditions or comorbidities, by recording them in Part 2 rather than Part 1 of death certificates as the underlying cause of death are expected to result in COVID-19 being the underlying cause of death more often than not. This was a major rule change for death certificate reporting from the CDC's 2003 Coroner's Handbook on Death Registration and Fetal Death Reporting and Physician's Handbook on Medical Certification of Death, which have instructed death reporting professionals nationwide to report underlying conditions in Part 1 for the previous 17 years. This single change resulted in the significant inflation of COVID-19 fatalities by instructing that COVID-19 be listed in Part 1 of death certificates as a definitive cause of death, regardless of conformatory evidence, rather than listed in Part 2 as a contributor of death in the presence of pre-existing conditions, as would have been done using the 2003 guidelines. The research draws attention to this key distinction as it has led to a significant inflation in COVID fatality totals. By the researchers' estimates, COVID-19 recorded fatalities are inflated nationwide by as much as 1,600% above what they would have been had the CDC used the 2003 handbook stated all concerned citizens and still there is more last spring the cdc created covid19 exclusive rules that violated federal law by outsourcing data collection rule development and wrote new rules to count probable cases without any definitive proof of infection 
The new rules also allow tracers to practice medicine without a license while disallowing any measures to be put in place to prevent a patient from being counted multiple times. Then, on April 14th, the CDC adopted additional rules exclusive for COVID-19 in violation of federal law by outsourcing data collection rule development to the Council of State and Territory Epidemiologists, the CSTE, a non-profit entity, again without applying for oversight and opening opportunity for public scientific review. On April 5th, the CSTE published a position paper, Standardized Surveillance Case Definition, and National Notification for 2019 Novel Coronavirus Disease, COVID-19, listing five CDC employees as subject matter experts. This key document created new rules for counting probable cases as actual cases without definitive proof of infection. That's section 7A1, pages 4 and 5. New rules for contact tracing, allowing contact tracers to practice medicine without a license, section 7A3, page 5, and yet refuse to define new rules for ensuring that the the same person could not be counted multiple times as a new case, section 7B, page 7 stated all concerned citizens. Why would those in power wish to do so such inhumane things to the entire population of America? Question mark. The National File concludes, By enacting these new rules exclusively for COVID-19 in violation of federal law, the research alleges that the CDC's significantly inflated data that has been used by elected officials and public health officials in conjunction with unproven projection models from the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation to justify extended closures for schools, place of worship, entertainment, and small business leading to unprecedented emotional and economic hardships nationwide. A formal petition has been sent to the Department of Justice as well as all U.S. attorneys seeking an immediate grand jury investigation into these allegations, all concerned citizens stated. There is much more to the report, and we suggest that you read it at the link provided in the beginning of this article. All data since last year suggests that COVID-19 hysteria, part of an orchestrated coup against Western values, nations, and laws. At what point will the evidence and data be enough to break the spell cast on millions of Americans by the COVID cult? Please bring this report to your local official and insist that they read it and reverse the policies being implemented and ramped up across the country, or America is surely dead. Quite an interesting article from the Gateway Pundit in regards to COVID-19, quite a mouthful. But this here again, going to show how the CDC manipulated the numbers in order to cover or provide a reason for the media to run away with a mass hysteria that has since infected the nation and the world. And even in that face, we do see that people around the world and in other nations are standing up too you know, the government and taking off their masks. You know, people are just not wearing their masks anymore. Uh, People, it's time for masks off. And that's basically what this is boiling down to. 
Um, but yeah, 1600%. That's quite a jolt. That's quite a jolt of 1600% more people died of Corona than were thought. No, 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 no. 1600% more people died of other things than Corona. In other words, the number you've been told is 60%, 1600% higher than, than actual true life. And what I've said before is that, uh, you know, the coronavirus is just a flu. Get over it. You know, it's just a flu. You know, like there are other underlying reasons why people die when they are infected with the coronavirus, which is real indeed, but uh, it is not real to the point that you would want to have a hysterical closure of a nation or a world for any amount of time, any period of time. And you definitely don't want to be wearing one mask, let alone seven masks, even if that is what your government mandates. Of course, this is not a law. This is, uh, this is what they would be suggesting. There is no law that says we have to wear these things. There is no law that says we have to wear a mask. And besides, if you have your mask on, aren't you protected? Don't even try and tell us that it's for the good of the community, for all of us to wear a mask. If everyone in the community wears a mask and everyone who has a susceptible immune system stays locked away... Just kidding. They don't even have to stay locked away. Um, according to their logic, they should just be able to wear a mask and be fine. Isn't that true? Isn't that a fact? All right. Let's do another COVID story. This one is a throwback. Uh, let, let's see how much more scandal is involved with this COVID. This whole COVID charade that they've been playing for the entire world to be a part of. This one is also from the National File. Patrick Howley writes, NIH owns financial stake in Gate-funded coronavirus vaccine. So they wanted Bill Gates to have a vaccine. Of course, um, we know that Donald Trump beat him to the punch. But the NIH, the National Institute of Health, owns a financial stake in it. Let's see what this uh, article has to say. National Institute of Health own a financial stake in the Bill Gates-funded Moderna coronavirus vaccine. Oh, so not even then. Moderna got through. And this one's made by Gates. No. This one's made by the, um, by the Belinda Gates Foundation. Um, Moderna. Raising big questions about the supposed impartiality of the federal government's policy decisions during the coronavirus outbreak. NIAID director Dr. Anthony Fauci, a financial ally of Belinda Gates, whose institute is part of NIH, has been critical of hydroxychloroquine and the FBI even raided a health spa, serving intravenous vitamin C, which are competitors to a vaccine. I'm going to stop here because that's another interesting thing. Why do you think they were so opposed to hydroxychloroquine, which has been proven to work? I mean, there are cases going forward now wherein people were either given too much hydroxychloroquine, knowing that it would kill them, um, and, and other matters, and also people who were suing because hydroxychloroquine was withheld from them, when in fact it could have been used to solve the problem to begin with. Well, could it be because Fauci and his people were involved with uh, Belinda Gates and uh, the NIH in making money off of a vaccine? Why use something that's been approved for six decades when you can have a brand new Fauci-delivered, Belinda Gates-inspired and funded vaccine that is uh, approved for by the NIH, right? The article goes on to continue. 
we do have some particular stake in the intellectual property for the Moderna vaccine for the Moderna vaccine, stated Francis Collins, the director of NIH, in a revelatory recent Economic Club panel discussion. One of the vaccines, the ones that's furthest along, what started actually at the federal government, our own vaccine research center at NIH, then worked with a biotechnology company called Moderna to get to where we are now, with very impressive phase one results and getting ready to go into a large-scale trial as early as July. That one, of course, we do have some particular stake in, uh, the intellectual property. Others, though, come from companies who've invested their efforts into getting them to the point where they might now be ready for a trial, Colin stated. Newly published documents from Public Citizen have massive implications. Public Citizen stated, the U.S. government may jointly own a potential coronavirus vaccine. The National Institute of Health has played a critical role in coronavirus research for years. Building off this work, federal scientists have helped design and test mRNA-1273, a vaccine candidate developed in a partnership with Moderna. The federal government has filed multiple patents covering mRNA-1273. In this report, we describe two patent applications that list federal scientists as co-investors. If the government successfully pursued its patent filings, the result patents would likely confer significant rights. We also review recently disclosed contracts between NIH and Moderna. The agreement suggests that NIH has not transferred its rights, but instead maintains a joint stake. Journalist Patrick Cowley exposes coronavirus contact tracing program in the first ever episode of National File TV. Dr. Fauci funded the coronavirus bat research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, believed to be the source of the outbreak. Then, the political class tried to suppress treatment as Fauci's friend and associate, Belinda Gates, prepared mass vaccinations and the economy got battered, and the whole episode was written out, planned, in advance. Why did the Belinda and Mel Gates Foundation fund research at MIT on how to implant people's vaccination history under skin? Under their skin? Why did Fauci meet with Belinda Gates' father, George Soros, and other globalist heavyweights all the way back in 2001? Why did the Stephen King-created television series The Z Dead Zone predict the coronavirus outbreak and a chloroquine cure for it back in 2003? Why did Dr. Anthony Fauci's NIAID fund the coronavirus bat research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which President Trump and Secretary, Secretary of State Pompeo and others have identified as the source of the worldwide outbreak? Questions. Questions, 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 and more questions in regards to Fauci and Belinda and Mel Gates Foundation and even George Soros, which there is a picture with all of these characters together, including Fauci and George Soros. So we see there's a lot more going on with this coronavirus thing, and I think that there's a picture coming out that it was politically motivated. If you can tie all of these characters together, you can tie together the whole story of how the deep state and these individuals all work together global, globally, and it is a globalist movement that these people are doing in order to, uh, to 
receive the power that they so they so seek and they so desire and uh, to what ends i don't know to what ends just look at the georgia guidestones there's some ends on there that they could be holding towards but i guess we'll have to see how that plays out to be continued documents indicate FBI may be able to access signal messages on locked iPhone devices. This from Just the News by Alex Nitzberg. Court documents reportedly indicate that the FBI may have the capability to gain access to texts with an app called Signal on a locked iPhone device. The clues came via Seamus Hughes at the Program of Extremism at the George Washington University in court documents containing screenshots of signal messages between men accused in 2020 of running a gun trafficking operation in New York, Forbes reported. There's also some metadata in the screenshots which indicates not only that signal had been decrypted on the phone, but that the extraction was done in partial AFU, the outlet noted. That latter acronym stands for After First Unlock and describes an iPhone in a certain state. An iPhone that is locked but that has been unlocked once and not turned off. An iPhone in this state is more susceptible to having data inside extracted because encryption keys are stored in memory. Any hackers or hacking devices with the right iPhone vulnerabilities could then piece together keys and start unlocking private data inside the device. The device appears to be either an iPhone 11, whether Pro or Max, or a second-generation iPhone SE. Forbes reported, noting that it is not clear which software version was installed on the device or whether authorities can gain access to private information on an iPhone 12, the latest, de- the latest models of the popular iPhone smart- smartphone line. If someone in is in physical possession of a device and can exploit an unpatched Apple or Google operating system vulnerability in order to partially or fully bypass the lock screen on Android or iOS, they can interact with the device as though they are its owner, a Signal spokesperson said, according to Forbes. Keeping devices up to date and choosing a strong lock screen passcode can help protect information if a device is stolen or lost pretty interesting article so i guess the fbi can use an app to get into iphones whether they are locked i guess they just have to be within radius Hmm. final story for the first session of the c report for wednesday february 10th 2021 international russia iran china to hold joint naval drills in indian ocean this is from the epic times russia iran and china are set to hold joint naval drills in the indian ocean as the chief of u.s central command acknowledged that the united states faces increasing competition in the middle east it comes as the united states is separately conducting joint exercises with australia and japan in guam Russia's ambassador to Iran, Levon Zagarayan, 
announced on Monday in an interview with RIA News Agency that the trilateral naval exercises will be held in the northern Indian Ocean in mid-February. The joint naval drills will include rehearsing search and rescue operations and ensuring that the safety of shipping, he said. Similar drills will... Similar drills were held between the three countries in the Indian Ocean in the Gulf of Oman off the coast of Iran in December 2019 and a move that appeared to counter U.S. activity in the region. The Gulf of Oman is a waterway that connects the Arabian Sea with the Strait of Hormuz, where about a fifth of the world's oil passes through. At the time, tensions had been mounting between Iran and the United States since Washington pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal in 2018 and posed sanctions on Tehran. Iran had repeatedly warned it would block the strategic Strait of Hormuz if it couldn't sell its oil due to U.S. sanctions. The United States at the time accused Iran of being behind multiple attacks on oil tankers in the Strait of Hormuz in May and June 2019, allegations that Iran denied. President Joe Biden has said that the United States will rejoin the Iran nuclear deal if Iran resumes strict compliance. More recently, Biden said in an interview with CBS News on February 5th that the country would not lift its economic sanctions to get Iran back to negotiations over how to revive the nuclear deal. Soon after, Iranian leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei on February 7th, told the state TV, If the United States wants Iran to return to its commitments, it must lift all sanctions in practice. Then we will do verifications. Then we will return to our commitments. The announcement of the upcoming drills comes after Biden early earlier this February ordered the USS Nimitz, then the only U.S. Navy aircraft carrier in the Middle East, to leave its area of responsibility and return to its home port in Washington state. Former President Donald Trump at the beginning of the year ordered the aircraft carrier to remain in the region amid heightened tensions in Iran. Let me just break in right here and say, Good job, Joe. Good job sending the U.S. Nimitz home, in spite of the fact that there is heightened tension with Iran. Ugh, U.S. faces increasing competition from Russia, China in the region. The article continues. U.S. Central Command Chief General Kenneth McKenzie on Monday said that the actions of Iran presents the most challenging driver of stability in the U.S. CENTCOM area of responsibility in the Middle East. The United States faces increasing competition in the region from Russia and China, both vying for power and influence through a combination of diplomatic, military, and economic means. McKenzie said in a keynote online address at the Middle East Institute's virtual convention in his first public remarks since Biden took office. This adds another layer of tension and instability to an already complex and challenging region. In 2020, Russia and China exploited the ongoing and regional crisis, financial and infrastructure needs, perception of declining U.S. engagement and opportunities created by COVID-19 to advance their objectives across the Middle East, Russia and China 
leverage their proximity to the region, historical relations, and a perceived decline in U.S. engagement to establish and strengthen opportunistic relationships, he said. Russia seeks to undermine the the disrepute and disrupt U.S. influence while having economic reasons for engaging in the region, from maintaining oil production agreements to expanding Russian access to nuclear energy markets, trade, and arms sales, he said, adding that it also wants to establish permanent military bases in Syria and Sudan. Meanwhile, China's interest in the region is predominantly economic, the general said, noting that it relies on the region for half of its crude oil. Furthermore, China continues to cultivate trade relationships, economic investments, and comprehensive partnerships among regional states, he said. China also uses its Belt and Road initiatives and the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor to expand its influence in the region, he added. Coordinated U.S. interagency efforts, strong allies, and partner relationships are key in the great power competition, Mackenzie said. Opportunities to bolster partnerships and compete with Russia and China in the region include border security measures, counter-narcotics efforts, counter-terrorism, defense, institutional building, and even developmental assistance. These low-cost and often overlooked programs possessed possessed outsized impact in terms of building relationships and assuring key partners. Separately, the United States is conducting its annual trilateral field training exercise, quote, north with Australia and Japan in Guam and territory in Micronesia. Air Force Air forces from the United States, Japan, and Australia will participate in Quoke North 2021 at Anderson Air Force Base in Guam, February 3rd through the 19th, to conduct humanitarian assistance and disaster relief operations, as well as to conduct large force employment and combat Air Force training, the U.S. Air Force in the Pacific said in a statement. And, of course, we reported on Quoke North, and I think the other one was like uh, a red flag uh, the operation that was going on in Nevada um, in a previous episode of the Sea Report. In a previous report, we hope you guys are enjoying your Wednesday evening. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again tonight at the Q&A Holes podcast. Our Wednesday call-in show will be live on Twitch. And you can also get information at QAholespodcast.com. We'll see you there tonight. Call in. There's no telling what we will be talking about tonight, as well as the Joe One of Two QA Holes News Break. And the B session of the C Report will be again on later on this evening. Perhaps you've caught it, but uh, we're, we're running one to two reports per day at the C Report. And uh, we'll see if we can get to a second one after. I guess it'll probably be after Q&A Holes Podcast. That'll be at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Live, live, live. Call in, call in, call in. This is Mr. C for the C Report and Q&A Holes Podcast.com. Have a good evening and we'll talk to you again later.
Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares. <laughs>